Hello, I'm Maritz Mayman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is Excess Weight, what your subconscious is trying to tell you. My guest is Dr. Hanneke van Seil Edelman, counseling psychologist and accredited mediator from Johannesburg. Welcome, Hanneke. Hello, Mariette, and hello, listeners. Just to inform our listeners, after our conversation, Hanneke will give us her three best tips on controlling your weight, and then it will be fun question time. Hanneke, you have a background in dietetics as well as psychology, so you're in the perfect position to talk about weight issues and the subconscious. How did you happen to combine these two fields? Mariette, it was so interesting for me because I did the dietetics first. So for a long time I worked as a dietitian. But it always bothered me that I couldn't really get to the why of what people were struggling with. It's easy to tell somebody what to eat, but to get them to do it and to understand what their bodies are trying to, to communicate, that was the issue for me. I've also always been interested in the mind-body connection, and so I went on to do a PhD on exactly the mind-body connection with the focus on bulimia. So the, the full title is <laughs> quite a mouthful. The Emotional and Cognitive Misattribution of Blood Sugar Variability in Bulimia. Goodness. <laughs> I have to see that in print. <laughs> <laughs> I, I use it as a doorstep. Yes. <laughs> now, Haniki, I know we're used to looking at the body as a physical entity and may miss its connection with our mental or emotional state. As you've just said, you've talked about the mind-body connection. How do you view this? You know, it's so important to understand that we communicate through our bodies. Now, there are many obvious things like how you dress, how you do your hair, um, your posture, how you look at people. So those are the obvious body language clues that we are used to. But our subconscious also talks to us and this is through symptoms and dreams and synchronicities. And those are the things that we can use to understand the inner communication. So from your soul or your inner self, those communications we want to understand. Which role does the subconscious then play when we have a health issue? We use the subconscious communication to understand what the health issues are. So it's like a language that your body uses to express its issue. So it's a symbolic communication. And to, to give you an example, if you have a digestive problem, it probably means that something that you are taking in from your environment is not sitting well with you. You are not digesting it. It's heavy on your stomach or tough to digest. So when one starts to look at these issues almost like they are dream communications, then we, we get to what the message is that your body is trying to say. Because the one thing that I think is really important to remember is that one subconscious wants to protect you. It has your health and your survival at heart, but the way that it communicates is tricky. 
and sometimes the the symptoms that it gives us to to express its message need to escalate because we don't listen to them. So at the very first sign of something going awry in your body, it's important to, to sit a bit and decode what your body's going to say. And so usually it is in the function of the organ or the system. And if you express that in words or the discomfort in words, then you can access that message. It now occurs to me that we have an intelligence that we perhaps don't really take cognizance of. Absolutely. And the same with dreams. We, we say about a dream that if you don't analyze and understand a dream, it's like getting a letter in the post that you haven't opened. It's a message from your soul or your subconscious to help you. So it would be correct to say that the subconscious uses the body to get a message across and that we need to decipher them. Absolutely. And the important thing is that that message has a positive intention. It's to help and to assist, but the outcome isn't necessarily always positive in the, in the long run. So sometimes the symptom is a bit outdated, uh, perhaps because we haven't heeded it. And we need, our job is to upgrade that expression into a more functional situation. Yes, I hope you'll explain that to us as we go <laughs> along. So if physical symptoms have an underlying symbolic connection, where does one find the necessary information? Uh, I was wondering where you learned about the symbolic meaning of messages conveyed by the body. In psychology, Jung was one of the main people who looked at symbolic communication. So it, it's from a Jungian perspective that we look, but there is actually quite a lot. There, there are several books. Louise Hay is one of our old favorites, and many people know about her work. And she, she used these communications to heal herself from seriously uh, difficult challenges. And then there, there are other people like Debbie Shapiro and Thorwald Detlefsen who also write about the communication value of symptoms and what your subconscious is trying to tell you. Yeah, so if listeners are interested, they could look at these three authors. Yes, definitely. And, definitely. Yeah. Well, Jung, I suppose, is not really that easy to read, but <laughs> the other two. <clears throat> he has many books on symbols and, and he doesn't necessarily connect it to bodily symptoms, but the, the symbolic communication is very much part of that kind of psychology. Could you give us one or two general examples of symptoms or conditions and then the message they are trying to put across? Okay. For example, if one has an inflammatory condition in your body, it usually refers to anger of some sort. Bladder and kidney problems are very often emotional problems and um, it's about being peed off, <laughs> feeling really angry at something or somebody. Headaches are very often used to avoid situations. I mean, you just have to look at Zuma to understand that people use illness to get out of difficult situations. It's an old stunt that we pull. Yeah. And now we're coming to the symbolism related to weight issues. How do you treat this in your practice? 
I find that most physical issues run in two lanes. There's a physiological problem and there's an emotional spiritual problem. And both of those need to be addressed because otherwise, as soon as you start treating the physical problem, it jumps to the emotional side. And if you deal only with the emotional issue, the physical is neglected. So we need this two-pronged approach to tackle the symptom. Yeah, and we don't always get that, do we? No, and I, I don't actually understand how people don't realize that. Mm. Because it's almost as if they, they take the emotions as something quite separate from the, from the body. The two are together, and your subconscious uses the emotional expression and the symptoms to convey very many messages to us. So looking at those two lanes, the first one, how do you approach the psychological or could we say the emotional or spiritual aspect of excess weight? We look at the symbolic language. So for example, the language is what has meaning in the family. So you won't find uh, a weird and wonderful symptom in a family if, if weight is an issue or if control is an issue then these, the symptoms will express themselves in that way. We know, for example, um, we are talking about excess weight here now, but it's almost just, just the opposite issue. In anorexia, there is hyper-control very often, and this is expressed in the physiology and in how people eat or don't eat. So we need to understand what the, the words are that the symptom is trying to give you. How do you approach the physical aspect of excess weight? Very slowly. Because there's the other thing that one needs to remember is that there's a weight set point. So it's really easy to lose weight if you control massively. But most people can't sustain that. And also because they haven't dealt with the emotional issues that underlie the weight change. And so that set point wants to kick in. And it's as if your body overreacts and rushes back to the set point and then almost exceeds its previous level. So with every restriction, we find that there is a counter effect that can be quite difficult to, to deal with. And so we really need to look at both those issues and go very, very slowly. That makes a lot of sense. Now you've spoken about the family context do you want to say more about weight issues that develop in a family context? There are a couple of questions that I think we need to ask around not just family but also other relationships. For example, what does being heavy mean in your family? Uh, what does it allow you to do that you wouldn't otherwise do? Uh, let me give you an example. I sometimes see people who can be very coquettish around men if they carry weight because they don't feel any threat from the guys. As soon as they lose weight, they, they lose that protection that the weight gives. So we also ask, what does, what does the weight protect you from? And there are so many protections. But it, it usually is something about carrying weight or have your word carry weight. I get very often that people uh, expressed a wish when they were younger that 
I'd be able to deal with a situation when I'm big. And then the subconscious makes them big, but not in the way that they had hoped. Goodness. Yeah. So we need to be very careful also about how we speak to ourselves and which words we, we use. And that's part of the interesting decoding of the whole story. Mm-hmm. So one could take a look at phrases concerning weight. Oh, absolutely. And, and then just take note and see yes. in which context we use them yes. and what the words are. Yes. How do you help clients deal with weight issues? I have to say weight is one of the most tricky issues to deal with because it runs in so many areas. The other thing that I think is so important is to remember that it's almost as if eating becomes a shorthand for dealing with many emotional issues. I usually say to people, look at your hand. You've got five fingers. Each one of them represents a different solution to a situation. But eating is kind of at the wrist. And a lot of people just eat to resolve anger or sadness or anxiety or irritation or whatever the the story is. And it's, it's an early conditioning that we've learned in the family. I find in families where the emotional expression has been a bit blocked, the eating is much more of a problem because we express through food. And then one must remember that food and company are conditioned together from the moment you open your eyes. When you're a little baby and you're hungry for the first time and your blood sugar is low and your mother arrives, food and company arrive together. And we condition those together fatally from day one. And then later we learn that one side of that equation can substitute for the other. And especially if we are lonely or bored or upset in some way, then we grab for food because the the real nurturing isn't there. That makes a lot of sense. I know you use hypnotherapy in your practice. How does this relate to weight issues? Many people ask for hypnosis for for weight issues, but it's almost as if they want a magic solution to to their problem. The hypnosis doesn't work as a magic wand like they would like to. We use it after we've done some work to reprogram the subconscious. And, And some people do. They do for smoking and so on, where they get people to stop smoking for a while. But what we need to remember is that your subconscious still wants to portray that message. And we get this horrible thing called symptom substitution. So it's as if the symptom just jumps into a different vehicle and it still wants to be expressed. So we, we need to be very sure what we want to do in hypnosis if you want to take the symptom away. Because remember, the symptom is for your protection. So there's a little joke that every single client of mine would have heard where um, Ashley Brilliant, he says, I'll gladly give up my disgusting habits as soon as equally satisfying good ones become available. (laughs) And that's what the subconscious does. So we need to really find better ways of doing and upgrade that programming. Now, that one can sometimes do subconsciously and in hypnosis. But unfortunately, I, I don't use it as the magic solution to the problem. I can see why you say it's so complicated. Do you have a case study, Haniki, that you'd like to share? 
Yes, there, there are two examples that I want to mention. Years ago, I was working with a um, woman who had diabetes and wrote out a whole eating program for her. And as I handed her the, the diet sheets, I said to her, you may find as a side effect of this eating that you, your weight will change. You might lose a few kilos. And she took the paper and flung it back across the table at me and said, then I don't want it. And yes, I also <laughs> was very puzzled by, by that one. So I said, okay, please explain to me what this is about. And she said her weight is her only weapon against her husband. He wants her to be thin, and she is on purpose not doing it. My goodness, and she actually realized that. Well, it took a bit of coaxing to get to yeah. that point, but that was, the, that was the end result. So I said to her, well, how about we get you good and strong and looking wonderful, and then you can tell him to go if you... <laughs> If you, but she thought that that was far too much work and she, she actually liked the power that this weight gave her. Yeah. So that's why I say it has a positive intention, not necessarily a positive outcome. Mm. And it's almost as if the subconscious doesn't care if there's damage. And in fact, sometimes unless there is damage, people don't listen. Just look around. People, if everything goes well, why would you want to change anything? Mm. It's only when it becomes really uncomfortable that we are sometimes motivated to, to change things. The other one was, I thought, really sad. This girl had been really neglected as a baby. She was left to cry in her cot for days on end. And someone would, when they were really sick and tired of this crying, just come and give a bottle through the bars of the, of the cot, leaving her alone again. So no nurturing, no comfort. And what we discovered later is that as an adult, when she was stressed, she would stress eat by feeding herself rubbish, pretty much like the bottle through the bars in a very no-care kind of a way. And so when she learned to nurture herself properly and to really look at what she needed, and when she was stressed, did she actually need food or did she need company or sleep or some other outlet, then she managed really beautifully to keep the weight down. Yeah, so you could support her in being more mindful and asking yes. herself what the, her needs really Absolutely. were. Absolutely. So you asked what we do in therapy. In the therapy, we work a lot on the nurturing parent ego state. So that part that is the good mother. Now, we also find some parts that are like the evil mother. And I, I tell people the story of Snow White, whose stepmother was very obsessed with a mirror, hence weight problems and so on, you know. But the, the, the mirror kept saying that the stepmother was the beautiful one. And then until one day the, the mirror said, no, Snow White was the pretty one. So the, the queen wanted to have her offed, and, but the hunter couldn't do it. And you all know the story. She lived in the woods with the dwarfs and so on. But then the mirror split on her again. <laughs> and so the, the evil stepmother took an apple and polished it up after she'd poisoned it. And she obviously donned this disguise. And she went, she sought out the child and presented this poisoned apple 
as something wonderful and nurturing as a gift for her. And so when we eat rubbish foods or cakes and sweets and things that look nice but actually are like poison to our bodies, then we're doing a witch mother thing on ourselves. We're not doing a nurturing parent thing on ourselves. And speaking of that, there's very often their allergies, their blood sugar problems, their food sensitivities that one has to accommodate. And just like you wouldn't say to an alcoholic, oh, just have a little glass of wine, it's not going to bother you. So one can't just eat a little bit of sugar or eat a piece of chocolate or have some wheat if that doesn't agree with your system. So we need to work a lot at what are treat foods that are going to be nurturing and healthy for you and not going to do the witch mother thing on you. I see. So our, our habits often don't come from a good place and we should really look at them and see whether they are good or not and then treat them in that way. Upgrade. <laughs> yeah, upgrade. I like that. So my next question relates to what you've just said because I wanted to ask, in our society, overweight often leads to self-rejection. Can you comment on this? I think that self-rejection that you're talking about is learnt and it originally was rejection from someone else. Because the weight is now the buffer. Because you can imagine this little child not understanding why my people around me are offish towards me. And so now I'm putting this layer of protection around me and now there's a reason why they don't like me. So I'm okay inside there, protected, and they can interact with the, with the protection that I have provided. I also very often see people who say, I want people to love me in spite of my weight. Now, unfortunately, we live in a really shallow society. Many, many young men especially want girls to look good. They're not going to look for the beautiful soul underneath the, the layers of protection. And that is a sad fact that we have to deal with. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it's much more the fear of rejection from others than the self-rejection. Yeah. So it's difficult to say with weight issues, well, it, whether it's the chicken or the egg, like, like you've just explained. <laughs> well, it's a circular process. The one feeds into the other. And just with, with any circular process, it doesn't really matter what the beginning was anymore. We need to stop it and then work a better process. Mm. And it seems to me if someone comes to you with a weight issue, what they actually will get is emotional health. I hope so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> because the, the emotional health is expressed in the healthy body. Mm -hmm. So the, the end result that one would love to have then is not only physical health, but also emotional health. Yes. Yeah. We, we want the, both lanes to be good. Yeah. Thank you, Haneke. Where can people get more information about your work? Well, my website is there, drhaneke.co.za. Although I don't think I have much about the weight in there. I think they, they can read about what, what you <laughs> talk about. I, I do quite a few um, articles in journals and so on. But um, maybe they should talk. Yeah, and I'll also, below the podcast on my website, I'll mention those authors. 
that yes, you please. talked about. Yes, please. Because some of those books are really good. Yeah. And now, please, your three best tips on controlling your weight. The first one is learn to love yourself and to express that love in non-nutritive ways. The second one is to learn to understand your emotions and to deal with them appropriately. Each one of them, those five fingers again. And then the third one is to figure out a decent eating strategy that takes into account how you will feel after you've eaten the food. Not just the momentary satisfaction in your mouth, but also how you will feel about yourself and what your body will do after you've eaten that food. Yeah. Food for thought, those three <laughs> indeed. <laughs> now for your fun question. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Now you have so many interests. And I was just wondering if you lived during the Renaissance, as a man or a woman, doesn't matter, what would you have liked to devote your life to? Oh, I would definitely have wanted to be a painter. Oh, yeah, an artist. <laughs> Absolutely an artist. Yeah, because you, yeah. you do that anyway. Yeah, definitely. First choice. <laughs> and I'm now wondering about women's role during that time. I just know about the male artists. If I would have been a woman in that time, I would have wanted to challenge that. Oh, <laughs> that sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Haniki, for, for your insight Pleasure. on this very difficult topic. Pleasure, Marie. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in upping your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, mariettesneyman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneyman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.00.